You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. You want to know what, Logan? What? We can't do it alone. You're listening to Cornfield Theology. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Cornfield Theology. I'm Pastor Sean, pastor of where? Redemption, Redemption Hill Church. Church. Hey, what's up, dude? Logan, you're more back at it with another podcast. Mm-hmm. How's, how you doing? I'm doing great. What have you been? What have you been doing lately? Uh, from between this podcast and the last podcast, I've been drinking coffee. <laughs> we kind of went from one. We're releasing them at separate times, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, we took a bit of a break and. Just like in the last podcast, talk about some of my responsibilities in October and early November, but now we're back at it and back at the blog, back with the podcast and uh, Logan, we're back doing this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Back to you. slain as the kids say. Slain? Ad- slain. I don't know. I don't use, <laughs> you are the kid. <laughs> I Well, so there's like certain aspects where I'm more in tune with the younger crowd uh, and there's other aspects I'm completely, oh, man. completely gone. So what's been consuming your time lately? Uh, so overall, uh, work, work, yeah. lots of work. Yeah. You've been in overtime, huh? Yeah. Get the money, get the money, yeah. get the money. Uh, and then also playing games with my wife, playing games with your wife. Anything on television you've been watching more than others? Uh, I've been following the Kyle Rittenhouse case. <laughs> I knew it. I was wondering <laughs> if you're going to say it and admit it. Well, yeah, I, you're like a, like a moth to the flame on that one. Why? Like, uh, what, what was your, this is nothing to do with our topic today, by the way, but. Yeah, yeah, so I'll just lay the cards on the table. I I am a full uh, proponent of the Second Amendment. Yeah, sure. Um, I thought this was a interesting case of self defense. Yeah. Um, and I actually really like court. Um, I've been like law. In general. Yeah, I've yeah, been yeah. to jury jury duty, yeah, and I sure. loved it. If I could be a professor professional jury member, yeah. I would. Okay. Which I know is quite odd to a lot of people. Yeah, I think it'd be fun. I'd, I'd love thinking through complex arguments and yeah to... absolutely I, I i love seeing the process of like you get called in and then you get interviewed by lawyers and get kicked out if they don't like you i think i think they kicked me out because they asked like the obvious question like who doesn't want to be here and everyone <laughs> raised their hands but me and one of the lawyers was like you want to be here i'm like i think this is interesting and they're like crazy person leave <laughs> <laughs> so now next time you know what to do yeah so <laughs> they're uh, asking you not to be honest <laughs> Right. Um, so, I mean, at work, I mostly just do processing so I can, like, listen to live listen streams. Stuff, yeah, so sure. I just streamed the Kyle Rittenhouse case yeah. and got, like, 45 hours of it. Like, I've watched the majority of it. Yeah. So that yeah. was consuming my time. Well, not me. Um, I can't say. I it, Whenever I need cultural updates, I ask you, our friend Brooks, our friend Eric, my wife. Yeah, I mean, after... I now I kind of regret it because I went to Twitter to see people's reactions and oh dude, Twitter's <sighs> a cesspool of. I mean, if you want to get fired up about anything, just get on Twitter. It's like I put in all this work to try and be informed and have an informed opinion, and people are just spouting nonsense. Yeah. Well. All right. That's neither here nor not, there. Yeah, that's <laughs> not here. I for me, uh, I watch. I love college football. Uh, the Hawkeyes are on time of this recording in 45 minutes. Ooh. 
So yeah, I'm a huge uh, Iowa Hawkeye football fan, as they it should have be. No Corn pro f- sports. What's that? Because <laughs> they have no pro sports. Yeah, well, yeah, that's okay though. Like you know, growing up, I was a Chicago Cubs fan because I grew up in Dubuque, Iowa, and we had WGN, and so you know, Chicago was only three and a half hours away. Sure, there are parts of Illinois where it takes you much longer to get to Chicago, for example. And we were right on the right on the Illinois border. So I was a Cubs fan, Vikings fan growing up, still still Cubs fan, still Vikings fan. But now I'm like then I'm in the middle of the state here in the Des Moines metro. Um, I gotta tell you, I'm all in on the Hawkeyes. I mean, I was I was before, but now it's like but a number of you know, allegiance from like one to five, you know, if you pick all your teams. And I'm Iowa State. For no reason other than to bug me. Uh actually it's because when my wife worked at the machine shed she bought me a sweatshirt that happened to be Iowa State, and I decided that was. So what you're telling me is like, I, all it took was a sweatshirt. Yeah, I don't. So even if look. I got you a sweatshirt and a hat that was the Iowa Hawkeyes, that would probably seal the deal. I mean, that'd be more. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, that'd be two Hawkeyes memorabilia. Yeah, and one Iowa State. So I might have to. As a Minnesotan, I really don't care, and I don't yeah, even I like know. football. So, yeah. well, I'll get you to like Iowa. You don't like football, but Iowa in general. Iowa does play Nebraska in about 45 minutes, which means this podcast will be much shorter than that. Um, and they're going to wipe the field with Nebraska. They're just they're a terrible football team in a terrible state, and I only say that because they're our rivals. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of home runs that game. <laughs> okay. That is not the topic at hand. <laughs> you're so ignorant. <laughs> I know you're doing it on purpose, too. Uh, a lot of scored goals. Go, team. Get the points. <laughs> All right, our topic today is why uh, the benefits, pros, and cons of joining a denomination. Um, should you should a church, local church be part of denomination? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, is there a place for non-denominational or interdenominational churches? Right. Yeah, and I think this is an important topic because one of the like criticisms of Protestantism that gets uh, leveled at us is that there's so many denominations. Some people quote like twenty thousand different denominations, which I think is inaccurate. Right. Um, but they see that as a as a downside yeah. of Protestantism, and I actually think it's a, a very good thing. Why do you think it's a good thing? So I think that it's a good thing. I'm reminded of uh, C.S. Lewis. You know, you have the great hallway of Christianity. So here's the thing. So Protestants do have a lot of uh, denominations, but there is core tenets of Christianity that we have to hold to in order to even be considered Christian. Yeah, we're talking like Nicene, Constantinople, Creed type stuff, Athanasian Creed, you know, type stuff. So Right. So like sometimes when someone says there's 20,000 different denominations, they'll include Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, which I would argue eh, is not Christian. There's got to be a category for cults here. Right. So C.S. Lewis described the idea is that there's this great Christian hallway that we can all come together and meet in. Mm. This is our common factors. It is the gospel. It is those things that you have to hold to to be a Christian. Mm. However, you cannot live in a hallway. You have to go to a room. Right. And in that room is your bed and your hearth and the community and the denominations serve as that room. They serve as those categories of this is what I believe. These are others that believe like I do, and I can have communion with them uh, in, a, in a more sort of in, intimate yeah, sense, but not like, yeah. yeah, meaningful sense. That's yeah, yeah, probably yeah. a better word yeah. um, because you share these common beliefs. So we would be a confessional, essentially reformed Baptist church. Essentially reformed? Uh, essentially reformed Baptist. Yeah, yes. Because yeah. we're not congregational. Right, right. So a lot of Baptists would say we're not Baptists, right. but we're a cent- there's a lot of things that we share with our with Baptists. Correct. 
So let me explain that real real quick for folks who are listening. Uh, our Confession of Faith is built off the of 1689 uh, Baptist Confession of Faith. The truer and better Westminster. The true and better Westminster, which, you know, the 1689 basically <laughs> stole 19 or 90% from the Westminster Confession of Faith. We're just like, no, nah, we're not going to sprinkle these. Yeah. We're just going to dunk people. Right. The first draft is never. Yeah, I know. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, you always got <laughs> more drafts. And, and same thing for us, man. We, t- we took the 1689. We've done some modernization to it. Uh, for our local church and for our denomination, in addition to uh, putting in a few more chapters because we wanted to address some significant contemporary issues for today. Uh, one big one would have been like mission, a work continuationist, sure. so gifts of the Holy Spirit, just making the mention of that, mm-hmm. in addition to one or two other chapters as well. And so we're we're Baptistic in that sense, but that confession really helps helps unite us as a denomination. Mm-hmm. But it also divides. It's a bit po- polemical, and po- polemical doesn't need to be negative, right? It's just stating this is what we're for, which means we're against these other things, right? And those other things may be unspoken, mm-hmm. but whenever you say something you're for, you're also saying something that you're against. Exactly. And that's yeah. Not if a you say thing. you're for Iowa Hawkeyes, you're against Iowa State. I've not met a single person that's been a fan of both. So that uh, might, all right, that might, that's probably a bad comparison because there's probably someone out there, but well, yeah, they may exist. You know, I, I'll get back into sports here. Yeah. Let's run with that. I, I don't mind Iowa state, right? Let's use this example. I'm a big Iowa Hawkeye fan. As we already, I already stated, I like Iowa state until they play the Hawkeyes. And it's in those games where I'm adamantly against Iowa state. A side gets chosen. What's that? A side gets chosen. A side gets chosen. And so there might be some things that we collectively agree upon where we like each other, right? We're all from the state of Iowa. Right. We generally root for each other because we're part of the same culture. Right. Both hate Nebraska, apparently. Yeah. Well, they don't ever know. Nebraska's just west of here. And, you know, they're a horrible football team. Horrible football team with a horrible coach. So. All right. But like, like we're Baptistic, but we're willing to partner with people. Who might mm-hmm. not hold to our Baptistic theology and sensibilities. Right, because we have that great Christian hallway. Right. And so that means when uh, we met for about a year and some change at a Presbyterian church, mm-hmm. PC, uh, soon to be, I think, PCA church, and um, and and it was a great partnership. They were all about the gospel. We're yep. all about the gospel. They, they were, were gracious, reformed. kind. We're reformed. And we're not just reformed in soteriology. We're, we believe, you know... There's more to it than that. And uh, they're, we're in that hallway together. You know, now on game day, you know, we're like, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not sprinkling <laughs> babies, man. We're not right, doing that. Right. Yeah. There's those, there's the subjects where it's like, if we get here, we're going to have a sharp yeah. disagreement. Yeah. Um, they have, they have, the, they have the categories of, you know, teaching and leading elders. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't see that distinction in scripture, even though Presbyterians may make it. Yeah, they used vestments, which I was 100% for, but I'm someone totally is not. Yeah, they got the high pulpit, right? Where, Fantastic. Like, when we were meeting there, <laughs> you and some other folks in the church like, don't you want to preach from up there? And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, you and your music stand. <laughs> I use that music So stand. boom, now we have a, a division with <laughs> our the church. church. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so that that's why I think that these denominations can be good is just it gives you categories that, you know, for understanding theology, it gives you community. Yeah. As long as we understand that we have that great Christian hallway where we can still fellowship yeah. um, with people of other denominations. And by the way, there's people, there are churches out there that are not in that hallway. 
you know, they fall outside. They clearly fall outside the boundaries. They're in a different building altogether. Right. Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses. We're not doing an apologetic against Mormonism and JWs. The oh, what was but it? The, they hold to a different Christology. First of all, they they fall outside the bounds of Orthodox Christianity. Yeah. The but, second, uh, what was it? The second Apostolic Lutheran Church. What is I, that? That's a lesser known cult, I believe. Oh, okay. I went to one of their churches because a friend. One is Pentecostalism. Would be another one where you know they're just they're monkeying with the Trinity. And so they're out there, they fall outside the hall. And, but, but that means we've created some lines of demarcation in terms of what is Orthodox, what is Orthodox. And we can do a quick study of church history to understand where those lines are. Right. So you fall outside those lines, you are outside the hallway. But even more pointedly, we got to ask the question, is it still important? You know, why can't we all in the hallway just get along and be part of one big denomination? Kind of like the Catholics think they're a part of one big denomination, even though they're splintered and they just, they're not explicit about it like we are. Right. <laughs> you got the Pope, uh, pro Pope Francis crowd, the anti Pope yeah, yeah, Francis yeah. crowd. Um, so what what makes what makes it important for us to distinguish ourselves as a denomination from mm-hmm. from others? Yeah. Well, so one thing I think happens. So this is sort of a term that was coined by James White. Maybe not coined by him, but he, I watched him. This this is where still, I got it. Are you still part of the fanboy club? Uh, or did you, did you leave? I don't watch him regularly. Oh, so you left You left the fanboy club. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's still a great guy. Yeah. I met him. Cool. He's short. Okay. You're Fun tall. facts. You're tall. Uh, well, yeah, I'm 6'4". Most people are yeah, short yeah. to me. All right. You met James White. Yes. Or no, right. about, about James about White. About James White. Sorry. So he talked about there's like this mere Christianity movement, which uh, he kind of put like Andy Stanley in that, in that crowd. Sure. Where you're trying to distill Christianity christianity to that great hallway those those pure fundamentals of 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 the gospel but that then that's all there is yeah andy stanley he's got some horrible takes go ahead and it's like although these are true and they're good you can't live in that hallway the Mm. hallway can't sustain you it becomes essentially very shallow and it can get to the point where if you're always trying to go to this hallway you can't you can't get into the depths of the Bible right. and start seeing those really important nuances, really important topics bear out. And you start to kind of minimize um, some of the important theology that's handled handled in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an attempt to get unity, but it it also creates, I think, shallowness of, of Christianity. Absolutely. Um, I, a quick story regarding that. I, I, and I actually recently blogged on this. I'll allow for- it. For a different reason, you'll allow it. Thanks. Um, and I'm not, I'll leave names and churches um, unknown here. I, my first pastorate, I was in a church. I was there for ten months. A close friend hired me on, and then you know he got removed or he left or whatever the situation might have been. Um, I'm ill-informed of all the particulars of that, but it was kind of awkward that I was there. You know, he hired me, and now we got this new interim guy, and he shows up to a staff meeting one day. And, and basically said, not basically says, he says, I'm not concerned with uniting around truth. And I'm like, come again? Yeah, right. <laughs> come again? And, uh, you know, didn't put up a stink in the middle of the meeting. I'm not one to be a jerk to someone and, and you know, call him to account in front of other people. Um, a day or two later, pulled him aside privately and be like, I can't be here. Mm-hmm. You know, handed him my resignation. I explained why. Like, that is wrong. To say you are not going to unite this church around truth is absolutely wrong. Which be- which brings up the question, what do we unite around? Mm-hmm. And how are 
churches and denominations uniting around, right? Do they unite around a personality? So you have you have movements that are built and grown because of one individual, you know, the popularity or influence of one individual. Do you unite around methodology, mm-hmm. right? So we can, we can talk about this from a local church, church uh, perspective for sure, but we can extrapolate this and say denomination-wise or network-wise, you know, let's give some examples. You know, when it came to the Acts 29 network, right? you know, what was that movement largely built around? What personality? Mark Driscoll, right? And so um, his influence really pushed forward this Acts 29 movement. And Acts mm-hmm. 29 still exists today and seems to be doing some good work. But Mark Driscoll is no longer a part of that. So they were right. able to weather that particular storm. Right. I think Matt Chandler came in, and he's a, obviously a big personality as well. But that there's some danger there. Right. Because personalities, they're here, and then they're gone tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, another ministry that was centered around a personality was Ravi Zacharias's ministry. Oh, my goodness, yeah. You know. Not necessarily like a denomination thing, but same thing going on. Right, right. Just, the, just that idea of if you're building your denomination or a ministry around a particular individual, there becomes a danger of, when that individual, if they fall, mm-hmm. the rest of the denomination collapses, could collapse. Yeah, absolutely. And again, yes, Ravi Zacharias wasn't a uh, denomination, but it was a but very it makes it helps big, make the point, right? right. The cult yeah. personality that exists within Christianity at large, especially if you want to use the word evangelical within evangelicalism as well, and it's a problem. It is certainly a problem with the megachurch movements that we have with with individuals getting. You know, I I think conferences like Together for Good. They, they could have their place. But one of the unfortunate unintended consequences is that it's it's put specific people up on a pedestal. Hmm. All of a sudden, they become what we unite around and what they say. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you hear what David Platt said? Did you hear what John MacArthur said? Did you hear? I mean, people we like. Right. Did you hear what Bodie Bauckham said? So this isn't just the Andy, Andy Stanleys of the world, the Joel Olsteins of the world. It's actually within evangelicalism itself. Now, some leaders out there are very intentional about building around themselves Sure. where I think there are probably some leaders who are like, I don't want you to build around me. They have good ecclesiology, right? <laughs> they have a good understanding what, what it, it means in part. It might happen, but to the chagrin. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, yeah, I'll preach at this conference because I love it. I love this denomination. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, the people listening are like, yes, we're uniting around that guy. Um, so there, there's gotta be mechanisms in place to ensure that actually doesn't happen from a denominational level. Right. So if we're not going to unite around cult of personality, I think that's pretty clear. And uh, we don't want to unite around methodology. Why? Why would it be? Why would it be dangerous to unite around methodology? Could you could you define for me methodology? Meaning, uh, this is how we're going to do church. It's going to look this way. This is how we're going to plant churches. It's always going to look this way. Here, you you take something on paper and basically say, this is the playbook for how we're going to do everything. Okay. This is the methodological way we're going to do. So let me give an example. James McDonald. Okay. Uh, very much the the Harvest Bible Chapel movement was very much like, here's what your church planner looks like. Here's what your lead pastor looks like. And here's the way in which you're going to go about doing that. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So it was basically, here's the methodology. Okay. Well, I've, I'd see that as being better than, um, you know, being around a cult of personality. I think some of the drawbacks for that is, you know, uh, a certain methodology that works for Philadelphia may not work for uh, you know, Des Moines, Iowa. Oh, uh, no joke. Or you <laughs> vice, know, versa. Advice yeah, vice versa. Yeah, vice versa. Yeah. You know, like it that can end up just like not taking into account the context of where you're preaching, planting, uh, and that sort of thing. Totally. So I, I that's think, the biggest drawback that I see just from your uh 
your definition. And that's very much, very much in play though with many networks in particular. Mm-hmm. Networks tend to be a, kind of a looser. They're not a denomination. They're just we're going to relationally relate in different ways, you know. Right. And, and they're they're being they're being strict in areas that the Bible's not necessarily uh, speaks on. Yeah, exactly. So, for instance, we might we might have the quote unquote methodology of confessional baptism. That is a that is our method of baptism in a sense. Yeah. If you get. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's theology being practiced. Right, right. It's yeah. our it's our theology being practiced. You know, but we would believe, or at least I think everyone agrees, that baptism is spoken on explicitly. Yeah. Um, in the scriptures, and we might have disagreements about whether or not it's credo or pedo baptism, but the um, scriptures doesn't speak on exactly how to church plant. Right. And when you start making those very rigid rules about how to church plant, it must look like this every single time you fall into that trap of just not taking into that context. And there's even a blend of the cult of personality and the methodology. Mm. So you take you take you know your favorite worship artist or whatever. And he becomes the model for all the other worship artists within your network or denomination. Sure. So it's you see you see that blend. So here's this personality that we love, and we think all churches should have this type of guy. Now, let's ensure, methodologically speaking, how to get that way. Right. You know, same thing with a lead pastor or a preaching pastor. How a person preaches. Mm. We want everyone to preach like this guy. Right. And so here's how we here's how he does sermon prep. <laughs> and if anyone who's got any preaching experience to know that you, there might be value in, in learning from another person. I've learned from many other preachers. Right. I mean, I've watched, I've read three different books on sermon prep. Right. Here's a great example. Like, you know, when you started preaching um, as a pastoral intern at Redemption Hill Church, I told you how I did it. Mm-hmm. But I, I know I'm fully aware that you need to come up with your own process and practices in terms of sermon mm-hmm. prep. Are there things you can glean from me? Certainly. Absolutely. Are there things you're going to develop yourself? 100%. And do you want to, do we all want to continue to grow in that? Yeah. That, that is much different than here's how pastor a of this, you know, denomination or network preaches mm-hmm. go do them. Likewise. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't think that serves. And I think there's tons of danger that way. You got a bunch of mini me's running around all of a sudden. So then what do you think of the Anglican church? Cause isn't the Anglican church essentially preach on the same text across, across our, the board? Yeah. Across oh, the board. I'm not quite sure. I, well, there's a I may be off on that. There's a difference between preaching the same text and preaching the same sermon. Okay, that's true. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like within, I don't think they just print off the same yeah, sermon yeah, yeah, from yeah. the cloud. Although, although um, there was a time in church history, and I cannot remember, it wasn't the 39 articles, it was something else, where they wanted to ensure good theology was being preached. And so they had a bunch of sermons in which a, a priest or minister could use within the Anglican church and just like, here, this is good theology. Hmm. I think they were addressing some cultural issues with sure. Christianity. It was a battle between Anglicanism and Catholicism, you know, when you get into the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries. So there's other things going on, but that wasn't like, we want everyone to have this cult of personality. It was, we just need good, the- good reform theology <laughs> being preached. Right. So that's a different issue going on. Unlike what we see today. So, What's the difference between a, a denomination and a network? And is the SBC a denomination? <laughs> that's starting to get, I feel like, out of my, uh, <laughs> that's out of my jurisdiction. Yeah. <laughs> um, hmm. Hmm. I feel like, well, oh, that's tough. 
Well, I th- well, they somewhat have a confession of faith. Like Who? they have the the SBC. Well, they got their Baptist faith message, right? Right. I feel even if they call themselves the network, I feel like they function like a denomination. I see. I go the opposite way. Really? I think they're more tethered to the cooperative program than they are anything else. Where theologically speaking, they're all over the place. Okay, that's true. You know, so you can have an Arminian and, and a Calvinist in the same church, you can, or in the same region, or whatever, however they do it, right? Um, I guess they have regions like Iowa has its Baptist Convention of Iowa, mm-hmm. and so they're not they're not they're actually uniting around maybe some basic Orthodox Christian right um, doctrines, yeah, but it's, it's not tight at all. They're they're mostly tightening around, uh, and there's around, not really uh, denominational like discipline. Right. Like if one church steps, they have out, no polity, right? Which polity. I think is intentional because they right. they see an extreme. They love the word autonomy, right? The autonomy of the local church. Right. So again, this goes goes back to what are they uniting around? It's mostly mission. Hmm. So basic fundamentals. I mean, inerrancy of scripture. I mean that that's a big thing in the Baptist faith, the message, right? Um, and and the Orthodox Christianity, but they really look into the cooperative program to unite around. Like we want to take the gospel to the nations, you know, I and B. We want to plant churches okay. in the NAM program. Okay. So they, they are a, a squishy denomination. <laughs> Let's call them that. Sure. And maybe my, we have we have tons of Southern Baptist friends. So, you know. I mean, I went they, to a Southern Baptist school. Yeah, I did too. So that's where I got my MDiv. We have Midwestern, rival schools. Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Got to keep plugging them. Southeastern. Baptist I owe them a lot of money. So. Although Southeastern, I think, has changed a lot. All right. Um, so we're not uniting around cult of personality. No. We're not uniting around methodology. No. We need to unite around truth. Theology. Theology. One hundred percent. I was like, I was trying to like mouth the th- yeah, trying to lead you along. Come on, man. Man, I'm kind of trying to act like I'm the leader of this podcast and stuff. I think let's address this and then let's ask the question: mm-hmm. Is there a place for non-denominational slash interdenominational churches? Baptist with a cool website. <laughs> Baptist with a cool website. That's what non-denominational is. I think it is so important to unite around truth. Yeah. Um, and extensive truth. And so our confession of faith is a uniting factor for churches within Trinity Fellowship churches. It, it, our, our confession of faith, as I already said, is based and built off the 1689 you know, we're essentially Reformed Baptists. Yeah. And I think one thing we need to point out, so we've, we, I mentioned the mere Christianity movement idea before of trying to distill down to the, the core. Yeah. But those distinctions on certain theologies that like our confession handles, what is baptism? Yeah. We need to, we make a big deal about those because they are actually important. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so when we're talking about the importance of denominationalism, it's, we, I think it's important because I see theology as being important. Right. right and right. when we get to these specific topics that start to sort of sift out and filter into these different denominations, I think that's a good thing because you have to take seriously that topic. Correct. And when you do, you end up finding you, you most align with this particular group of people. Right. And so we're, we want to be really clear about what we believe as a denomination, unlike um, many churches and even you go back to Southern Baptist, not trying to pick on them. But uh, sure, you don't necessarily need to make clear everything that you believe, right? Right. It's like copy paste from from First Baptist Church of wherever, and, you know. You take their statement of faith and you put it on your website. Well, for us, uh, we're not doing that. There's a depth that we have to our theology. It's not just the basics of you know 
do you love Jesus? Explain the Trinity. And um, when's Jesus mm. coming back? Right. It, it's m- much more than that. And so again, it, it can be polemical in the sense that it does divide, but it also unites us. It says that we're what we're for and we're being public about it as well. Right. We're not trying to hide the ball. Not at all. And and it's okay that people disagree with us. Absolutely. You know, I think there's a there's a certainly needs to be a place for that. And hopefully in those areas of disagreement, it creates good, rich theological discussion with our other brothers and sisters in Christ who are in that hallway to go back to Lewis's. I think the greatest criticism, and I think this is a legitimate criticism of denominationalism, is when we forget that we are all Christians. How do you mean? So so when you get so wrapped up in, so for instance, in college, I'm going to use Calvinism and Arminianism. In college, that is a huge hot topic issue. And when you're going over that, it can be so easy to start sort of seeing them, seeing the other side as other, as not really being, you know, part of your camp, the yeah. camp being Christians. Yeah. Like, I mean, there are, I'm going to specifically call out Calvinists. There are Calvinists that will say Arminians are not Christians because sure. they're not Calvinists. I've heard that argument, yeah. I think that is completely wrong. And so when you start taking your denomination so seriously that you're saying this denomination is the true church, we are the only true Christians. Uh, There's an elitism to that. Oh, yeah. And maybe it doesn't come out that overtly Mm -hmm. um, where you might say you might, you know, give lip service like, yes, of course, I believe they're, you know, my brothers and sisters in Christ, um, but they're being saved by the skin of their teeth sort of thing. Sure. or you can just simply act as if they're not your brother and sister in Christ because mm-hmm. of those uh, differences. That's where I see the danger of denominationalism is when you take your denomination to be the be all end all. Yeah. Right. And you start or you're alienating even, other people of different totally. opinions. And even your local church too. Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's important that we are not identified by our denomination. We're identified by, cause we're in Christ. Right. Right. And I, and I think, and I and I say that because, you have those kind of like cradle to grave people who are a part of their denomination. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up PCA or I grew up SBC or I grew up whatever, Catholic. Catholic or whatever. And that's just who I am. That's my identity. No, your identity is actually in Christ. Right. And so I, I, I've seen that a ton, especially within, you know, particular cultures within America where you see pockets of a particular denomination that is stronger than others. You know what I'm saying? Well, shoot, that can get to the point where it's like, ah, yes, I'm a Catholic, but you hold no Catholic beliefs. (laughs) Like it's just your identity because you grew up Catholic. You just consider yourself Catholic without actually holding to anything that's actually Catholic. Yeah, totally. But also it's like on the importance of, of, you know, you mentioned that there can still be disagreement. You know, we are confessional church, our local our local church as a denomination. We have things that we would like you to believe in to be you know, a part of us, Mm -hmm. but we had someone part of our church who was a cessationist. So they did not believe that the, you know, the spiritual guests, um, continued. We've, we've had some pedo Baptists apparently that I don't know about. (laughs) Um, but they're still welcome. They're still part of our church. Right. The understanding is, is just if they're there, they understand this is where we, we believe as a church. Yeah. The way that way that works within a local church, uh, in a confessional church mm-hmm. is that as it, from a confessional perspective, the elders teach uh, affirm, teach and defend their confession of faith mm-hmm. and to be a member 
uh, it's it's just the basics of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then and then some responsibilities within the church. You know, being community, church discipline, you know, things like that. Right. And so there's there's room. And then the reason why I like that as a pastor is like one of my one of my callings is to help people along to get them to a place to see the beauty of what we hold confessionally. Now, does everyone get there? Of course not. But right. is, but is that a worthy endeavor of a shepherd who's caring for sheep? Absolutely. So, uh, denominations are good. I think they're helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, people, you know, say sometimes they're hurtful. I think they're more helpful than hurtful. I think when you look at church history, we see that um, denominations exist in part just to state what we believe. Uh, sometimes they were created. Denominations are created in reaction to heresy or something that they don't believe. You right. Know, if you're uh, if you have Baptist convictions, you weren't. You know, back in the 16th century, uh, more like 17th century, mm-hmm. I guess we had the Anabaptist movement, but then particular Baptists and general Baptists within England, they were reacting against the Pado-Baptists, congregation, right. Congregationalists and, and Presbyterians. And so there was that. Now, the question I have for you, Logan, Shoot. that it's really fashionable to be in a non-denominational church. Yep. Where... I was part of a non-denominational church. Yeah. So you're loosely affiliated maybe with other churches. Mm-hmm. It's even even looser than, say, the Acts 29 network. Sure. You know, it's like, hey, we just relationally connect to one another because we're in part of the same region and we want a fellowship or whatever. Or you're just kind of on your own. You're like, like I would say the fundamentalist Baptist movement in America would would really say we are autonomous and we are our own local church, period. Is that a good thing? Hmm. Is that biblical? Ah, ooh, that's that's also tough. I mean, when I go to Acts 15, for example, you got the Jerusalem Council. Yeah. And I see all the cooperation that's taken place. Now, they weren't using language like denomination. Right. But there was certainly a shared sense of theology and mission. Right. But you could see those as like basically a bunch of small churches in the same local area, Jerusalem. Well, no, they were coming, they were coming for, into Jerusalem. To, to settle, Paul was coming into Jerusalem to mm-hmm. settle matters in his local church. I think it was Antioch, right? Right. Oh, yeah. In, yep. Between no, Jews and right. Gentiles and all that kind of stuff. And so I th- I think they were they were coming in and submitting to the authority of the Jerusalem council. That's the big Baptists hubbub. would disagree, but yes. Yeah, Baptists would disagree. <laughs> this is where I think scripture speaks more toward uh, denominations than this, this independent thing going on. Yeah, now, I... Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. You asked me the question. I like haven't actually answered. That's all right. I, I, t- I went with it. Yeah. Um. The, I think overall it can be a negative aspect, because it it can lead to a lot of a lot of um things that we've talked about in previous podcasts. It can lead to cult of personality churches. Yeah. You know where you got the one guy leading his one little local church. Um, and. I also just think that it will, as previously mentioned, it can lead to a bit of shallowness trying to be this non-denominational. You don't put your flag in the ground anywhere. Right. You know, so like I was part of a non-denominational church. um, And at this time I was Calvinistic at this point. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know where the church stood on so many different issues. Sure. I knew it was believers baptism yeah. for sure. I knew that they hold to the gospel. I still super respect yeah. the church. They are a church, yeah, totally. but I was like, what is their stance on soteriology and how people get saved? What is their stance on um, eldership? Um, either like, you know, uh, plurality elders. What about women elders? Mm-hmm. Um, 
there was a lot of these different questions that yeah. do not get answered because they are trying to be non-denominational. Um, yeah. And if you were to ask, they have the, the, I did ask one of the elders and they had answers to my questions, but it wasn't something that was broadcasted. Right. You know, when you go to the website, you see that very generic stereotypical Christian confession yeah. of, of the Trinity, you know, Jesus is the savior. And he's coming um, back. <laughs> hmm? And he's coming back. And he's coming back. And we're not going to get into the details of it, but right. Yeah. Um, and that was very unhelpful to me as a young Christian who's really trying to suss out theology. Um, I think I actually, I hear everything you just said. I think that churches that do not have theological substance end up having leaders who are, who do not have theological substance. That might not be always the case. You were saying the, you know, where you went to church in the twin cities, you didn't think that was the case, but I actually, I think that generally ends up being the case. Yeah. I mean, you've probably been to more churches than I have. Yeah. And just rubbing shoulders with more pastors where they just, you know, they, they're not theologically depth. They don't have the theological depth that, and, and when you, when your confession of faith or your statement of faith is just, you know, eight points on your website that you copied and pasted from, you know, first Baptist church down the street. Well, yeah. of course you, you realize you don't have the depth because you didn't, you actually didn't sit down to think about what is the Trinity, you know, what is, a good doctrine of, of God. And, and we're not trying to rag on these, these churches and no, like puff ourselves up. It's no. more of observations of that. We see like one thing that I've seen with non-denominational churches, um, they don't focus, like you said, they don't necessarily focus on, on those deep theological truths. Although where I'm from, the, the pastors themselves did have answers to those. Sure. Sure. They focus on those numbers, getting yeah. people in. Yeah. Butts in the seat. Right. Get me, how many people, um, you know, responded to the altar call Yeah, and becomes about that rather than the theology. And I do think that it's, it's good to like, think about, you know, are we reaching our local, you know, our local community? That's not a bad thing to be thinking about. That's a great worthy, totally necessary. Absolutely. But it cannot be, you know, at, you know, that we cannot get there by sacrificing truth. Correct. Correct. And, and the other thing is like, when you don't, when you don't have a deep theology and you're not going to state that on your website, as we mentioned, how you held account to it, mm-hmm. how you held accountable for your own teaching. Right. When, especially when that becomes the, the, um, the issue at hand when in terms of being an elder, being able to teach, right. As we read in first Timothy three and Titus one, I wonder, and this is more of a speculation if it can lead to a lot of church division. Yeah. Um, Cause if you don't have your lines already clearly drawn, something can come up where now people have to pick sides and it yeah. can then lead to a church division. Whereas like with I'm not saying it can't happen to one that does define their lines, but presumably if you go to a church and it says we are a reformed Calvinistic church, right. You know what you're getting into. Yeah, exactly. You We're know? not hiding. <laughs> right. And so there's less chance of something coming out out of the blue that could divide the church. But that's more of a speculation. I'm not sure how much that actually bears out. Yeah, sure. Here's another objection to being a part of the denomination that I've heard. And it's a, it's a fair, I think it's a fair objection. Um, there is a fear, especially for those who have maybe more of that baptistic um, sensibility of autonomy. There's a fear that if you join a denomination, then all of a sudden polity outside of that denomination, leadership structure outside of your local church, excuse me, have an oversized influence on the local church. Do you yeah. think that fear is 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 applicable here? Um, I absolutely do. Yeah, uh, 
considering so i mean i mean considering our own denominations history yeah of of how it came about but i won't go into that necessarily but you know we do we also believe in church autonomy yeah um but we also believe some accountability from from a from a denomination which i think accountability is right and true and right. good right so it protects the church protects elders right so if i would ever go off the rails mm-hmm. there's a, a polity system in place to protect the local church right but there gets to a point where if you start putting the the majority of the th- authority to the you know the general assembly you know that extra extra yeah. church yeah extra local yeah yeah um that they can now start making decisions that are not necessarily good for your church correct kind of like we were talking about with methodology might not fit in philadelphia compared to iowa yeah same thing with uh general assembly trying to make policies for all churches everywhere yeah like you're not going to know what's necessarily best for that local congregation yeah. uh, so i think that that fear of denominations sort of overreaching and having too much of an influence on a local church can be well-founded. Yeah. That's why it's important to understand what denomination are you. Right. And what's your, and what's your extra local polity? What's that system look like? Cause there are certainly things from a, from an extra local perspective from our, what we call a general assembly, as you mentioned that we all want to agree upon. Right. As a, as a local church, there's decisions that we need to come to specifically regarding our confession of faith. You know, right. That's a, our, our book of church order. Right. You know, but if you're going to be joining a Presbyterian church, that needs to come with the understanding that there's going to be a little bit more authority placed into yeah. that extra local general assembly compared we're, to a Baptist. Well, we're, compared to us, where we would say where our local church elders are the authority over the local church. And I would say, I believe it's the final authority yeah, over that local right. church. And so there's a little bit of a tightrope here. Like on the one hand, elders are the authority of the local church. And then, but on the other hand, there's a place for extra local polity mm-hmm. in order to, you know, help adjudicate issues that may come about in the future. Uh, Lord willing, they don't. But if they were to, that that is there. Yeah, I mean, so the 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 danger of like if you're just going back to the individual church that's completely autonomous. Yeah. If there's abuse inside the church, who do you go to? Exactly. That's why many local churches have unfortunately and horrifically have been able to cover up stuff is because they're not being held account from the outside. Mm-hmm. So that's a one particular issue that's obviously got, you know, a lot of ramifications within our culture and within the history of not only the Catholic church, specific Protestant churches. But wouldn't that be a case of not the local church covering it up, but like an actual denomination participating in a conspiracy well, essentially? Yeah, it could be both. I've seen, I've seen both. Both. Yeah. yeah I've totally seen both within but the last five years or whatever. But at least with having a denomination, you do have the opportunity to step outside your local church to get some help. Correct. And provided those systems are in place, those adjudication systems are in place. When I say right. adjudicate, it's, it's legalese, right? Right. Something has happened. There needs to be an investigation. Now, what's the mechanism to kick that off? Um, it, it ends up being the objective system in which it can work through a particular issue with a process within a local church. Right. And so I think those things are actually good and right. necessary and needed. Again, it's good for church itself and good for the elders as, as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a sense of accountability that exists with right. extra local polity. With always keeping in mind that we just don't want to put too much power outside the local church. Correct. Yep. So that's how we've wrestled with it within Trinity Fellowship Church. So I would make the case that denominations are generally good, have certain greater benefit than not over the years, over church history. 
realizing sometimes it's gone bad and we've needed to correct along the way. And in addition to that, I think if you are an independent church or you are a non-denominational church or you call yourself interdenominational because that's basically the same thing as non-denominational in my own mind. (laughs) You're just saying it from the other side of the coin. Uh, I, I encourage you to think well about what's going on and how do you best protect your church? How do you best care for your church? How are you held accountable as a leader? Like mm-hmm. as a leader, I want to be held accountable, not only theologically, but you know, you know Paul says to Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine, mm-hmm. right? Those things are good. Right. I think the other thing I would add regarding a denomination that's really helpful are the relationships that, that men can have within that denomination within, not only within that hallway, and but you're in talking about the leaders. Yeah. The leaders, right. For me, I've been blessed so much by guys within our denomination who have cared for me. Now we're the only one in the state of Iowa who are part of Trinity fellowship churches, but with, with, with the, uh, with technology being what it is today, I'm able to connect in unique ways. And that's a really a good thing. Yeah. And, um, they, they go out of their way to, to care for my soul. So I, I, within our denomination where there's a sense of shared mission, but also, um, Shared labor, shared laboring, like we're co-laborers in the gospel. We're able to partner with missional stuff, so uh, I think that's huge as well. You don't get the fullness of that when you're an independent church, an, an autonomous church. So you might, might like, like don't get me wrong. I have relationships with other pastors within the, within the metro sure. that is awesome and I love, and it's a great source of encouragement. But there's more, you know. There's more. Any final thoughts on this one? Uh, not that I can think of. All right. I think we've said our piece. We've said our There's piece. There's probably going to be a lot more disagreement on this one, yeah. I feel like. Yeah, probably. That's okay. Yeah, we want to hear it. Yeah. So go ahead and uh, five stars and Apple podcast. Like, share, hit the thumbs up, the bell icon, and YouTube. <laughs> I don't know. YouTube's got so many things. I know, right? We're on Spotify as well. Make sure to uh, you know, do your ritual dance for youtube so the algorithm oh yeah chooses us oh yeah no joke uh go <laughs> go to cornfieldtheology.com if you're listening i can go right now and go to the bottom of the page put in your email address at the bottom of the page and then what that means is when a blog is posted it'll shoot right to your inbox and you can read that also accustomed to do a lot of audio blogs so if you're not big into reading you can hear my voice isn't that nice yay no actually you have a, you have a good voice i think you have a good i voice. got a face for radio yeah you do <laughs> Well, everyone, God bless. Take care and peace out. Until next time, you're listening to Cornfield Theology. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.